A Song Can Change Your Life is funded in part by the Fulton County Board of Commissioners and presented by Home by Dark Productions, the City of Alpharetta, Fulton County Arts and Culture, and Arts Alpharetta. A Song Can Change Your Life is recorded in the Black Box at the Alpharetta Arts Center, located at 238 Canton Street, Alpharetta. To learn more about our programs and events at the Alpharetta Arts Center, go to alpharetta.ga.us and search Arts Center, or click the link located on our website, asongcanchangeyourlife.com. Hello, and welcome to A Song Can Change Your Life, where we talk with one songwriter, one-on-one, about one of their songs. My name is James, and we're coming to you from the Black Box at the Alpharetta Arts Center in awesome Alpharetta, Georgia. Our show is brought to you by the Fulton County Board of Commissioners, Home by Dark, the City of Alpharetta, Georgia, Fulton County Arts and Culture, and Arts Alpharetta. My guest today is singer-songwriter Danny Mitchell. Danny Mitchell is a pianist, singer, composer, and songwriter. Since moving to Nashville in 2008, Mitchell has worked steadily as a freelance musician in a diverse and ever-changing music industry. He currently plays piano, organ, and sings background vocals with multi-platinum recording artist Miranda Lambert. When Mitchell isn't on the road, he works on recording sessions as a pianist, singer, composer, arranger, and orchestrator. As an artist and songwriter, Mitchell has performed around the country in venues including Chicago's House of Blues, Hollywood's Hotel Cafe, and Nashville's famed Grand Old Opry. As a solo artist, Mitchell has released four studio albums. Mitchell holds a bachelor's degree from the University of Wisconsin-Stevens Point in jazz, piano, and composition. His compositions range from small chamber pieces to full symphonic works. His Dawning of a Soul was performed by the National Wind Ensemble in New York City's Carnegie Hall under the direction of H. Robert Reynolds. The Home of the Great Spirit was commissioned by the Lakeshore Wind Ensemble Association for the 25th anniversary of the University of Wisconsin Manitowoc Lakeshore Wind Ensemble. On this episode of A Song Can Change Your Life, Danny and I discuss growing up in Stevens Point, Wisconsin, his journey to Nashville, and his beautiful song, Some Are Lucky. In a frame upon a shelf Back when I was someone else Before we learned to tell a Long before we said goodbye Took a picture of a moment to prove Felt like flying Camera caught the angle of you It's all about the timing Some are lucky, some not so Depending on whichever way the wind blows Tell me something I don't know Some are lucky, some are not so Danny Mitchell, welcome to, uh, welcome to Alpharetta. Welcome to the Arts Center here. Hi, how you doing? I'm great. Thanks for bringing the wife. And uh, if we have it, 
um, we'll snap to a picture of your ferocious watchdog that yeah. you brought as well. We Nate. might we might hear on <laughs> the other room barking at somebody. Your dog is named Fancy. Yeah. She sure is. And, and uh, she is fancy. And guards you on the road, yeah, you know, protects right. you. Right. So yeah, you can tell from the picture this will be a ferocious dog. Hey, I, I was thinking back to how we first met and I believe this as the story goes, Mike Willis, who was a is Atlanta songwriter, now lives in England. Yeah. Um said you have to you have to book this guy for our concerts, our Home by Dark concerts. And he didn't give me a website, anything. I'm not sure you had a website. He, but I got a link to a video of you on YouTube, and it was you sitting at a piano. You, could, you couldn't barely see your face, but you're staring at the piano, and it's got some Christmas lights. But it was a song called Brooklyn, and uh, if you remember that. And, and I remember listening to it and going, wow, and send it to our keyboard player, Jim Henninger, and our saxophone player, Matt. Blanchard, and said, guys, this guy seems really, really good to me. What do you think? And they said the same thing Mike said. They just said, book him. <laughs> but uh, anyway, I'm glad, I'm glad we did all those years ago. And um, I'm you, glad you did too. You've been a part of our shows for a long time. And um, let's walk backwards a little bit. You are from Stevens Point, Wisconsin. Uh-huh. Is that, was that, it sounds like a Norman Rockwell painting, you know? Is that what Stevens Point was? Is? Yeah, that's how I remember it. And it's still like... When my wife and I go back, it still feels that way to me when we go back. Like it feels like it has all the charm and the small town feel and the just what I remember as a kid growing up there. It was just a wonderful place. I think it when I was a kid, it was maybe 20,000, a little over 20,000 people. It's grown it's probably over 30 by now. I could be way off, but... Um, you know, we got a target when I was hey. in, I don't know, eighth or ninth grade. And that was like the biggest thing, yeah. you know? And so it, it, it always had that small town feel and, um, man, the arts community there, music, arts, all those things were, it, it was just such a vibrant place. Um, like unexpectedly, unexpectedly vibrant for such a small population, you know, it, the university was a big part of that, but it was just a great place to grow up. There was always art events, music events happening everywhere. And I grew up in a musical family, so that helped. Um, but everything we did was somehow revolving around music or, or going out to see a play or a movie or, you know, it was just a wonderful place to grow up. You have siblings? Yeah, I have an older sister, a couple of years older than me, and I have a younger brother who's 10 years younger than me. So if everybody, everybody in the family was musical, did you ever do family stuff? Yeah, um, it was tricky for me growing up because my sister was a couple years older than me and she was already taking piano lessons. And my parents are both fantastic keyboard players hmm. um, and owned a, music, owned a piano store. Um, so I grew up with it and the natural thing for me to do was to take piano lessons because I had to, um, like good parents, they made me take piano lessons. And, um, I just, I hated it because I was the worst right. of, of the, family. the four of us at the time. Um, <laughs> and it was, I just didn't do well with that. So I pushed against it. And when I got to be in sixth grade and they put a trumpet in my hands, I was like, this is something that I can be better at than my mom and my dad and my sister, because they literally can't play it. You want so, to stand out. So I wanted to just do something. I mean, my sister did all the piano competitions and she had, you know, the living room was like up just like a 
trophy case, yeah. basically, of plaques and things of um, competitions that she had won. And so I um, was not doing good at piano lessons, but I would sit at home and listen to Beatles records and play along with them. You know, I loved doing that. I didn't like the piano lessons. Um, and then, like I said, they put me in band and I realized that that was something that I could do that would be still musical and fit in with my family, but different enough that I could feel like an individual. And so, so you went to trumpet and did it, did you start to excel right away? You thought, I have, it was natural. Yeah. It, there was something natural about it. Um, and I still, I still play a little bit. Um, and I wish I could play more. I wish there was more time, um, in the day, in the week, in a year, you know, um, but I, I just, yeah, I, I gravitated towards it and um, did real good in school, band and everything, and um, was going to go, actually got a scholarship to go to college to be a trumpet performance major. And it just, I mean, again, like I found something that I was good at. I didn't know necessarily that I was going to do it for my whole life or what I was going to do. I mean, what do you do as a trumpet player? You know, when you're in a town of 20,000 people, how do you make a living? Um, But I knew I was good at it and I loved it. Um, Loved. Did you think at all of like, um, because you're listening to music, were you you thinking, hey, I could be in a popular band one day and, and... were you thinking you could teach or was that I, even... I remember having those thoughts. Yeah, I remember, you know, I, I would play around with writing my own music and writing. I remember showing some very early lyrics to my seventh grade English teacher oh, wow. and thinking that this would be cool if this were on the radio. And it was, I'm sh- hmm. you know, just thankfully that's lost and we can't... Um, we can't actually see how terrible it was because I'm sure it was pretty terrible. But I do remember thinking like, um, I, I also had friends that we had started a, a little rock band um, in high school that I played. I started playing trumpet because they wanted to play the Magical Mystery Tour by the Beatles mm. and they needed a trumpet player and they wanted to do Penny Lane and things like that. I could play trumpet. And then I was like, oh, by the way, I sort of also play keyboards. Not really, but I can, I know you don't need trumpet on every song. So, um, and then I sort of realized I could sing too. And uh, then I was in a band and we were doing Battle of Bands at high school, you oh, know, wow. in the cafeteria and stuff. Yeah. And, um, so I had thought thought about it, but I also grew up. Um, my mom's a wonderful classical player, uh, piano player, and my dad was was a, is a wonderful classical player too. But also played like rock, Hammond organ, all like mm-hmm. toured when I was a kid, um, and so I kind of grew up seeing that happen and seeing him grow out of it and into a phase where he had kids, young kids, and was gone every weekend and was around a bunch of people who were drinking and smoking and mm-hmm. and, and ended up, he walked away from it mm-hmm. um, for the sake of their career and the family unit. And um, so I always had a bit of reluctance toward that lifestyle or a little bit of fear about that lifestyle just because I saw how I kind of saw the end of my father's career doing that before I even had any sort of inkling toward my own. Interesting. Wow. So, 
But you end up going to college on trumpet scholarship. I, I did. Play, trump, play trumpet. Yeah. And so you so you have one of the great stories of all time of <laughs> of taking a lemon and turning it to lemonade. So <laughs> so you're you're this is in college when you're playing trumpet and you have you have a bit of a mishap accident that really changed the course of I would say your career my whole my whole life really I mean um I was a freshman and I was practicing in a dorm room I was practicing trumpet and it was a nice day and the guy I was rooming with who was a trombone player um he was yelling out the window talking to some girls on the street like just he was being an actual college kid. I was practicing my trumpet in my dorm room. You know, I, I was I was definitely the odd man out. Um, but he was frustrated with me for practicing and making noise while he was trying to apparently talk to girls on the street uh, through our dorm room window and got frustrated with me because I wouldn't stop and elbowed, like basically just threw his elbow back and it hit the bell of my trumpet while I was playing and pushed the trumpet into my mouth in such a way that like, uh, I mean, you can imagine what, you know, they're like metal lips, teeth. <laughs> I mean, it was not, uh, it was not a pretty thing. Um, and it, I don't think I was able to play trumpet for so did you, a was long it time. Injury? Well, you cut and oh yeah. yeah oh yeah it was it was bad um and yeah so i didn't play i i went the next day to school and i was like i i can't play like so there that was your scout but you were there for that so you were yeah you were in trouble so they they basically said um granted i was in i was at the university of wisconsin stevens point so i was in my hometown and i had grown up around um because my parents were in the music community, I knew all the professors. It wasn't like I was just some new kid mm -hmm. on the block. And I was able to talk to them and be like, look, this is what happened. I don't know what to do. Um, they basically said, well, you know, obviously we don't want you to leave, um, you know, but to keep music scholarship money, you have to be in the music department. Um, and so I was like, well, I can sort of play piano, you know, because that was the honest truth at the time. Yeah. I could sort of play piano. I could I could read the top line of a piano score because I could read treble clef from being a trumpet player. Couldn't read the bottom line. Um, and uh, so here I was in all of a sudden, you know, they're like, well, OK, we're going to you're going to take piano lessons um, with the uh, piano professor and uh You'll be in the. You'll have to join the choir because part of it was mm. you had to take private lessons on your instrument, and then you had to be in one of the larger ensembles. And so for me, that was trumpet lessons and the wind ensemble or the jazz band or whatever. And so they're like, okay, piano lessons and choir, and that's what we'll get. That'll get us through this year, and then we'll see what happens. Um, so I will never forget that first piano lesson because, first of all college piano professors are this they're serious like right. it is it there's no joking around and they are all i mean to get to that level to get a doctorate you know a phd um and get a college teaching job as a classical pianist like you're i mean most of them are from 
somewhere in Europe, you know, or Eastern Europe. Like we had a, a Romanian um, classical bass professor who was terrifying, you know, like they're, they're just <laughs> intimidating and yeah. brilliant musicians. So I had um, my first piano lesson with uh, Dr. Molly Roseman and she was so sweet to me because she had all these other students who had come to do classical performance who were who had been taking piano lessons since they were 3 years old and were already just ringers of right. players and and I was like playing the most rudimentary stuff that they played probably when they were in you know second or third grade yeah. because I was just trying to get command of the instrument in a way that I had never, I mean, I could sit down and I could play Hey Jude, but I couldn't read. I, I couldn't do, you know, I just couldn't do any of the school academic type things. Um, and there was not much more humbling in my life than going to those. Every Friday we had piano studio class where all the piano players would go and have a group um, group hour together and everybody would play what they were working on and they would go up there and play Rachmaninoff and these these just massive sounding things and I would go you know like I mean uh, almost like those light up keyboards that it's like, like thumb goes here yeah. you know um, but what was it, your mindset then were you were you because were you were you mad? Were you oh, was, worried? Were you? Yeah, I was I mean, furious. I mean, I was, I was furious because I thought that I had. I mean, to go back just a little further, like the summer before I even went to college, I almost didn't go into music at all. I was thinking of going into. I had some people chirping in my ear that you know music wasn't a smart profession and I should do something where I could make a living, and so I had also enrolled in a couple other schools to be an engineer. I, I re really was interested in that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. So, um, and at the last minute, I was like, I can't give up on music. I need to, yeah. I'll, and that's how I got into Stevens Point, you know, because I was from there. Um, so I was already kind of like, I took a big risk to do this. And now what I thought, I, I thought I had made the right choice. And now I don't even have that for me anymore and of course at every when you're 18 or 19 like everything feels like the end of the world right. um and it wasn't if i had just walked away from it for a couple of years it also would have been fine right. you know I, I don't think any of it was as big of a deal as it felt like at the time but i was i was pretty frustrated and pretty uh pretty worried because i didn't see a future in what they were teaching me at school at that point you know i'd just, but, but as you started being in choir and playing piano, did something start? Did you start to feel something that, like, there's something here that, that I haven't been tapping into that now I am? Well, yeah, I mean, sitting at a piano, like getting a getting a little more actual knowledge on the piano was um, really liberating for me because I could actually then, I think I was gifted with a really good ear. Um, and then once uh, I started actually learning the mechanics of the piano the right way, um, I was able to do more with what my ear was able to do. Yeah. I was able to take what was in my head and figure out how to make it come out of the piano. Yeah. And then also just the logistics of like trumpet is it's a solo monophonic instrument that you typically play in an ensemble. And piano was something that I could do 
on my own, be self-sustained. I could sit there and play and sing. Um, I didn't need an ensemble. I didn't need anybody else to be with me. I could play whatever type of music I wanted. Um, so I quickly realized that like, hey, this will allow me to, you know, maybe go back to the those younger urges in me that were like, hey, you should write songs, you know, yeah. you should you know, sing. Um, and I was just, but I was very nervous about it. I didn't think it would ever turn into anything. I just knew that I had, I had a little bit of a better vehicle for it at the time. Grab the corner, shake the dust. Only thing that's left of us. Captured in a timeless spell. Far away somewhere. When did you, when did it become, uh, yeah, you know what, I'm, I'm going to dig into being Danny Mitchell, singer-songwriter, and, 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 and do that. Um, it, took, it took a long time. I mean, I was almost through college, and none of my peers or teachers or anybody knew that I sang and played hmm. my own music. Um, I kind of just went by the book and did what they asked me to do in school. Um, but a uh, dear friend of mine, um, my mentor, and um, just a, another one of those pivotal people in my life, uh, the the band director at the university there at the time, Scott Teeple, um, his he was one of the newest professors, and his office was in the way back of the music building, and I would always go to the way back of all the block of practice rooms to be as far away from everybody as I could. Yeah. And... Um, I would go sit in that practice room and play and sing songs just for fun. And that was right across from his office. And he kind of perked up his ears to it and uh, signed me up for, they had this thing called the collage concert where it was the one time of, of the year where you could, music students could come and bring whatever they wanted. It wasn't like a formal recital. Yeah. So like if you were a cello performance major, you could go to the collage concert and play a, a song on guitar if you wanted to. Um, it was just kind of like a get all your other you things you really out. Of, yeah, get it out of your system, yeah. you know, um, and, not, and then get fall back in line. Yeah. <laughs> um, and he signed me up for it without telling me um, that he signed me up wow. for it because he knew that I would never willingly yeah. sign myself up for it. And so there my name is on a program that I'm going to play and sing a song of my own. And um, I did it. I was mad. <laughs> I, I was mad, but I did it. And he twisted my arm, and I, uh, I got over my fear of people finding out that I did that um, and yeah. uh, played it. And I got, you know, some good responses. And uh, that was what really, like, lit the, lit the pilot light, I think. Yeah. And then from there it was like, oh, people want to hear this. And also I, I was, like I said, I was by far the worst piano player in my class because I was so far behind. Um, so it was something that allowed me to stand out yeah. in a way that I had never stood out before. Mm -hmm. um, and so I, I remember something my dad told me when he was coming up. He, he was like, I was a great, great piano player in college, but there were the world was full of brilliant 
piano players that could run circles around me and I didn't want to run that race my whole life. But he was like, I realized that I could tune pianos and fix and restore pianos mm -hmm. in a way that nobody else could. And that's what made me special. And he said, that's when I decided that we were going to start a business. Mm -hmm. And I always had that in the back of my head. Like he didn't give up on anything. He just found his niche. Yeah. And that when I played that first concert where I played in front of people and I sang one of my own songs, um, I was like, oh, maybe this is that for me. Maybe, maybe I don't need to try to keep up with the jazzers and the classical people that are my friends in school that are all going on to, they were all going on to grad school at that time. Like everybody was applying for the next thing. And I did the same, like I kind of went through those motions, but, um, I, I finished school and, um, and also kind of fortuitously, uh, a guy who became a really good lifelong friend, Mark Little, um, he was playing, he had a little acoustic band that played at the bars in the area. And um, he asked me if I wanted to come play with them one time. And I did. And it was, it kind of like allowed me to be the, the rebel, like get out of the academic music yeah. thing. And again, it was going out and seeing people like light up over music, mm -hmm. um, which, you know, you play classical recitals, they're wonderful, and right. but it's a very formal thing and people politely yeah. clap, but there isn't a lot, like I needed, I needed to see it in somebody's eyes that what I just did made them feel something. Yeah. And, and so those couple experiences uh, kind of steered me in that direction. And then I've spent the next couple years traveling around Wisconsin with Mark, um, playing in his band and playing every horrible bar gig we could get our hands on. And we didn't make any money, but we had a really good time. And um, and I started doing solo. That was another thing. I could do piano bar gigs. I, you know, I played at this martini bar um, near my hometown every Friday night for a couple of years. I, you know, I, I just, I started doing it and yeah. realizing like, hey, this is really fun. And um, I don't have to pay for grad school and I can, and there, there I was like all of a sudden on a different path and um, absolutely not what I expected, but there I was. Yeah. Yeah. I was, when you were talking, I was thinking you, you gravitated toward trumpet to stand out from your family of piano players. Yeah. And then when you get into school to stand out, you end up doing original stuff on piano as a way of sort of separating yourself in part from your peers there as well. Um, that's cool. And then I, I loved your comment about, yeah, in the, in the classical world, it's, it's, it's mind-blowing to me to, to listen to some of those musicians. But for some reason, the formality of it at times can feel like they're stifling the emotion of it. Mm -hmm. And when, you, when you're able to first experience, like you did, of seeing people's facial expressions or tears or, or express to you, wow, that, that emotion thing, that fuels you to sort of keep at it. Well, and, and I, I mean, I don't mean to dog on academic music, um, in any way because it's so vital and really wonderful but in um when it's not managed right taught right performed right it becomes music for other musicians hmm. like and i think a lot of 
a lot of heavy jazz becomes music for That's other musicians. Yeah. Um, it's nobody that does that is setting out to create something accessible for masses. They're they're creating something that's intellectual and in its own way very beautiful but it when when you play it for the entire swath of the population for whether they're educated uneducated musical or not like it it only hits a half a percent of the people whereas if you play let it be it hits a hundred percent of the people, yeah. you know, like it, it, there's no, there's not a dry eye in the house, yeah. you know? And so to me, like, and I'm not ranking any type of music over any other type of music, but for me, the feeling that I got playing music that resonated with more people, uh, was what really made me feel like I was doing something with the gifts I was given. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then also that realization which was very freeing to just be like, I'm never going to be the best classical player. Yeah. I'm never going to be the best jazz player. I'm never going to, you know, like it's so freeing to just be able to say, hey, this is what I'm good at. And there's no shame in letting that be my thing. Um, that's another struggle I had was a, a lot of like academic, a, a few of the people that I was studying with, had a bit of a problem with me playing dumb, right. you know, three chords in the truth right. type music. And I just always had a real problem with that. Um, and as soon as I was old enough to be like, no, I'm not wrong, you're wrong. Like you are limiting me by, like there's beauty in what I'm doing just like there's beauty in what you're mm -hmm. doing. It's it's different, and you're not seeing it. And, and like, as soon as I figured that out, and I could I could walk away because it's also hard when you're young, yeah. and there are people that are that you look up to yeah. that are so wonderfully talented, um, and they're leading you through this part of your life, and they're telling you whether directly or indirectly that they're trying to steer you back into what they want you to do yeah. instead of seeing like Scott Teeple did. He he heard me in that practice room. And he was like, that is special. That's different. And to this day, he still does that for me. He's yeah. the guy who commissioned that piece I just On finished. On the website, yeah, From yeah. the Depths We Rise. It's yeah. a beautiful piece here. It, and he continues to, he lives in a world where he's a he's the um, director of bands at the University of Wisconsin in Madison. Like he lives in that academic music world. And yet he understands the value in people creating heartfelt music, um, regardless of what it is. I mean, he commissioned a singer-songwriter from Nashville to write his band mm -hmm. a classical piece. Yeah. Like that, and to, to me, those are the types of teachers that we need, that that was that was what I needed. And, and so as soon as I could, was mature enough to realize like, that's who you listen to, these other people, take what they have as far as musical experience and everybody, you can learn something from everybody, but let them have their opinions about what you're doing.
on today's episode, I'd asked you to, I wanted to focus in on one of your songs, a, rel- a relatively new song as far as being completed, but one that's been around. I want you to tell the story of that, but called Summer Lucky. And um, you, I've, I've seen you play it in soundcheck. I've seen you play it in concerts. And um, it, it always emotes something in me um, that's a bit melancholy, um, but very truthful mm-hmm. and powerful. And so... Um, Tell us the story. You wrote, just with, uh, you wrote Some Are Lucky with Kim Ritchie and Nelson Hubbard, yep. right? Mm-hmm. How did that song come about? Uh, we were touring, me and Nelson were uh, Kim's touring band uh, for a few years around, I don't know, starting in 2010 through maybe 2012 or 2013. And, um, you know, the three of us were all individual songwriters, but we had never written together, um, the three of us. And I... I think I suggested it. I was like, I would really like to write with you guys because they were both writers that I really looked up to and I wanted a crack at, uh, you know, I just wanted one song with them. And so we sat down one time when we were off and we started writing and uh, it was, I don't think anybody was having a really good day. And so we got through maybe a verse and a chorus of this song and just it was one of those where it's like let's just go to lunch and we went to lunch and never came back to it um which was okay you know that's kind of sometimes right. it just goes that way um and i kind of just chalked it up to that's how that went i always remembered that i liked what we did i never i wouldn't have been able if you had asked me a year ago or whenever before i rediscovered the song if you'd asked me what's the song called how does it go i would have no idea mm. um like completely forgot it just kind of had a a soft fuzzy memory of the feeling I got when we were all in a room together. Um, And uh, anyway, I think it was sometime during 2020 when I had some extra time on my hands at home. I was cleaning hard drives and, you know, looking through old files and um, looking through old voice memos for ideas to write. And I stumbled upon that, the little iPhone memo that we made that day of the verse and chorus that we finished. And I was like, man, that's better than, that's better than I remembered it. And it also really just the, the lyric again, made me feel something. And of course hearing Kim sing anything is wonderful. Um, And so it was just, it was nostalgic for me, but then my wife came in the room um, and she hears me do music all day, every day. So she doesn't often come in the room and, and ask me about anything. Um, but she popped her head in and she was like, what is that? And I was like, I don't know. It's just a, the voice memo was dated, you know, 2011 or whatever. And here we are almost 10 years later from it. And um, I was like, I, I don't think we finished it. It's a half a song. And she's like, well, I think you should finish it. Um, and at that time, you know, Kim and Nielsen and I had all gone in our separate directions. Kim was off on tour somewhere in Europe and Nielsen's running a really successful production, video production. I mean, they're, everybody's kind of doing their own thing. So I was like, I'm not going to bother them with this. I'm going to just write a middle verse and tighten up the chorus and then I'm going to demo it and send it to them. And if they like it, great. If not, fine, you know, no big deal. Um, So I did that and I, you know, it it was one of those things that it just, I was, I knew somehow exactly how to finish it instantly without Mm -hmm. even really thinking about it. I just 
you know, sat down at the piano and there it was. And um, again, played it for my wife and she was just like, okay, yeah. <laughs> this is good. I mean, I like this. Um, and uh, Nielsen and Kim loved it. Um, and they had both completely forgotten about it as wow. well. Yeah. It's just, it's amazing. It's like, you know, you go to put in a pool in your backyard and you dig up something that you buried when you were a kid yeah. or, you know, it's just, it was. But still, still you get, yes, I, I look at songs as maybe you do too, as these living things. Yeah. And you breathe sort of life into this thing. It was just, and it's just, it's been there. Mm-hmm. It just took someone to come back and sort of nurture it. Yeah. And it, it needed, I also think it needed time. Yeah. I think a lot of them do. And that's one thing that I really struggle with in the yeah, the Nashville culture is the three-hour yeah. writing window. And we got to get it done. And you need a time, I mean, listen to that song, to live life. Because that I song is, is a mature look back. And, and it, it is a, it, I think that's part of why it hit me so hard uh, at that point in my life. I I don't know if my wife and I were married at the time, but we were close to being married, if not married at the, right then. And, um, you know, the previous, I mean, really the previous decade had been a roller coaster of different things, um, literally ups and downs in every facet of my life. And, um, you know, going from, also going from whatever I was, however old I was, 20 something. And when we wrote it, when we started writing it with Kim and Nielsen to, you know, mid to late thirties, um, it's just a different, I, I'm sure if I had found it 10 years from now, it would be a, di- a completely right. different thing. Yeah. You know, it, it's just, it, I needed to go through some things and, uh, it just made me nostalgic in the best way. Um, and I think one of the, one of the things that I like about it the most is that it's, it's specific enough like some of the greatest songs, they're specific enough, but they're not too specific that everybody can't get yeah. something from it. Yeah. And it is, it's just ambiguous enough to make you think and also to make you, uh, to it, it allows you to apply it to your life in however Cameron was telling, my wife was telling me, um, she's like, it's amazing because it can be, it can be our story of, what we went through to find each other. Um, it could be about somebody who lost a parent. It could be about, it could be about any number of things. It could be about young love mm-hmm. that, you know, um, and I think that's what some, something that I strive for in songs nowadays is to make something universal enough, but also with some really specific details. And you also, to me, in the, the song, um, it's all about, you know, the chorus is, I took a picture of a moment to prove that it felt like flying. Yeah. And the whole the whole song kind of revolves around like finding an old photograph. Yeah. And so there's, there's a number of other songs that kind of use that as a platform that are wonderful. Like that, um, you should have seen it in color. That's, mm-hmm. um, but th- mm-hmm. this, this idea of, um, the see, seeing an old photograph of something that maybe didn't work out um or maybe it's somebody that you lost yeah. um but being able to look at it and smile and remember how even whatever happened post taking the photograph yeah. like 
whether it all went to crap the next day. Yeah. And, you know, it's like, it, it doesn't matter. Like you can look back on that moment and say, that was, that felt like flying. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's what I, I love about it so much is like, we all have those things in our life, those bittersweet things. And whether it's a career or a person, loved one, friend, you know, family member, like no matter how much it hurt, no matter how much it didn't work out, like you can look back on that and um, remember the good. Yeah. Yeah, that, that exact second. Maybe that's part of the value of the song too, of peeling another layer off it is is getting to a point in life where you start to recognize when you're in those moments, yeah. when you're in that snapshot and, and just quit looking backwards or quit looking forward and just this moment yeah. is powerful. This snapshot is a, is a really good word. Um, there's a, one of my favorite episodes of The Office um, where Jim and Pam like are having their relationship and they are trying to remember and they don't have a camera, but ever, when something special happens, they look at each other and they go. Uh, yeah. And I, I think of that a lot. And I think that's kind of what this song is like, like just stopping and taking a second to just like make a little print, even though you're not making a print or even taking a picture of it. Um, you know, it's it's just something to remember. And like you said, being able to be present enough to notice when those moments are happening yeah. uh, instead of having to wait 10 years yeah. and then go, oh, those were good times. Why? Yeah. I wish I would have yeah. realized it. That's That's been, uh, I mean, that's something that I think we all will spend our whole lives trying to get better at. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I agree. And, um, you know, I, I, you played with our shows, our Home by Dark shows, and I, it just it took me, I don't know how many years we've been doing this now, but it took me a while but when you play with us, God's Honest Truth, um, I do, cause I'm very active in the shows, playing drums and doing stuff. And sometimes my head used to be so distracted that I never, I don't even remember the, used to never remember the shows, but now um, in part because later in life you go, I'm enjoying this moment of playing songs with you. Um, and even last night when you played the song on our show, there's no drums on it, but I got to sit there and I was thinking to myself, listening to those lyrics, going, this is a snapshot mm -hmm. that I just want to wanna keep. Yeah. It's powerful. That's what, that's what songwriters do. That's what, that's what, when we say a song can change your life, is being able to, to dig into and understand, appreciate um, what you're telling us in a song like this. And it and, and has value beyond the, the, the tangible of a, of a song. We can, we can take it away with us and make our lives better, become better people. And that's, that's so cool, man. So, yeah. So thank you for writing it. Thank you for being a guest on the show today, Danny. Thanks I, for having me. I appreciate you, man. I appreciate and, uh, you. It's always a pleasure. And uh, maybe people, people see you out there on the road with Miranda, but um, yeah. as well, playing with her. But in the meantime, they can check out your music everywhere. And and uh, hopefully, is this gonna song going to get released? or? Uh, I need to make a proper recording of it. Yeah. <laughs> you going to do a new record? Yeah. <laughs> All right. It's on tape. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to do, do a new record. All right. Danny Mitchell, thank you. to it. Thanks, Jimmy. Took a picture of a moment to prove Felt like flying Camera caught the angle of you It's all about the timing Some are lucky, some not so Depending on whichever way the wind blows 
Tell me something I don't know Some are lucky, some are not so Thanks for listening to A Song Can Change Your Life, recorded in the Black Box at the Alpharetta Art Center. Our special guest has been Danny Mitchell. To learn more about Danny, go to dannymitchellmusic.com. To learn more about our show, visit asongcanchangeyourlife.com. Our audio engineer is Jerry Knabel. Our production coordinator is Jacob Davis-Martin. Our production assistants are Christopher Allen Yates and Yolandi Haddock. A Song Can Change Your Life is a Home by Dark production and brought to you by the City of Alpharetta, Georgia, Fulton County Arts and Culture, the Fulton County Board of Commissioners, and Arts Alpharetta. My name is James, and I hope you'll join us next time on A Song Can Change Your Life.